I feel like this is the time to let listeners know that I am, in fact, eight magpies in a trench coat. And I, in that case, would like listeners to really appreciate all of the sound effects I edit out every month. (laughs) Damn it, Joanna. How many, what does eight stand for? Uh, Uh, Depends on the rhyme, fucking anything. Let me consult my amazing book. I'm going to talk about those a little bit and follow up. Absolutely amazing book here. What have I got? Oh, Joanna. You'll love this. You have to I am going to grab a copy. Uh, for a whore. You can have eight for a whore. That's nice, isn't it? Oh, I'm having that one. <laughs> I am eight slutty, slutty magpies. <laughs> or for a wish. You can be both. I am a whimsical whore. Yeah. I think that in my Twitter bio. <laughs> oh, wait, I need to make a proper LinkedIn profile. I'm going to put that in my LinkedIn bio. Sure. It's not like you want jobs. No, God, no. No one, please don't employ me. I'm trying that like treat a mean, keep them keen thing. Do not fucking give me a job as a narrative designer. In fairness, if someone gave you a job as a narrative designer now, you'd be very unhappy. Yeah, I would never clue what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> the more I learn about it, the more I realise I know nothing. But I made a very small shit level in Unreal Engine today. Looked pretty good to me. It is okay. Uh, there's this weird thing where if you look up, you can see through the floor into the room above that's made the lighting really fucky, but... Technically, that's not my fault. Don't that's, look up. That's down to the static <laughs> meshes that I uh, I've downloaded an asset pack for it. I did not make all of that shit myself from scratch. What have I told you about static meshes? You need dynamic meshes. Yes, but uh, dynamic message uh, meshes are a lot more oh, less that's efficient. Thing, okay. Oh, I've got no fucking idea. <laughs> Generally, dynamic versus static. Dynamic is going to cost you a shitload more at runtime. Ah, that makes sense. Bearing in mind, I've already nearly filled this computer's hard drive. Luckily, there's room for three more hard drives. Oh, good. (laughs) I don't know how to put them in, but someone else is going to tell me exactly what to order and then put them in the computer for me. Good. So I'm I'm not going to keep like randomly referring to something I won't tell you about listeners. I have the Oxford Dictionary of Superstitions, which arrived in the post today. And it's from, I don't know, the 2000 and somethings. It's not terribly old, but it feels like it is because I couldn't get it as an ebook um it's just oh eelskin garters prevent Beautiful. cramp rheumatism did you know that there's so much about eggs here i'm um, eggs after sunset because uh, I'm, I'm gonna buy a copy and then awesome. instead of a proper rabbit hole i might just read aloud from the dictionary of superstitions you're stealing my castles and snacks idea to be fair technically we had a simultaneous castles and snacks idea that's true but i got mine in a millisecond before you sent yours yeah you that's that's fair it's all good i love it very much it's a bit like brewers except it can focus more on the where the origins of each of them because it's only the one subject as in superstitions and yeah i once again had a consult brewers moment uh while planning this episode. So I think I'm going to make it a point to find something to consult Brewer's Phrase and Fable on once per episode. I don't, I'd be surprised if I've ever gone an episode without looking at it at least once, but I don't always end up using it. I completely forget like that I have physical reference books when I'm planning episodes and I fucking Google everything. Ah, and so I Googled something and like one of the first results that came up is, well, Brewer's Phrase and Fable says, and I was like, oh, I have the book in front of me. Yeah, see, I've got all my... um my most used there and there. Ah, so right. They are within reach when I'm working at this computer, which I do if I'm planning in earnest. Uh, I'll do the odd bit on my phone. 
Well, because I do the post-its and then I plan on the computer, the post-its, I just star things to look up later and then I look everything up as I'm planning. Yes. Which means Brewers is at hand if I've used it for a previous episode and not put it away yet. Uh, you need because you need a tiny little bookshelf somewhere in your in your work space. You can't have an office without any books in it. That's weird. There's three bookshelves in here. It's just my reference sections in the living room. Terrible. They're also sharing space with some uh, some fabric and shit. And why not? I'm not going to move the camera to show you how much fabric is in this room, Francine, but it's a lot. I believe you. So much, much fabric. I'm going to quickly follow up on a conversation we were having before anything the listeners were allowed to hear. But broom if we happen, at sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't lose a broom at sea it's bad luck <laughs> well that ruins my weekend plans carry on if Let's we i've decided that if we ever do happen to find ourselves at a in a situation where we could be cosplaying discworld say a convention mm-hmm. then i'm going to make us matching william deward and sakarissa Cripslock uh cosplays which will mean nothing to the readers it's who? i think either would work I, I was about to say i feel like we could quite either of us would be happy playing either Maybe I have to make two outfits for each of us so we, we can swap. Yeah, we do two days. <laughs> <laughs> because unfortunately we can no longer share clothes. No. <laughs> but I'm thinking like 1940s journa- like American journalist, but mm-hmm. in like Regency fabrics. So anyway, that's what's on my brain right now because I've got an actual sewing project I need to be working on that isn't that. Good. Yes, it's absolutely. Like last night when I was meant to be researching things I'm really interested in for this podcast but because I was meant to be doing it instead I went and stalked all of our exes on Twitter (laughs) which I didn't enjoy at all really I don't know as I said last night the uh the best revenge is living well but sometimes you need to make sure that you are in fact living better yeah otherwise how do you know uh speaking of living better we're going to an improv night tomorrow oh yeah is that living better (laughs) I have no idea. <laughs> I I have I don't think I've ever been to a live improv night, but I did used to really enjoy whose line is it anyway. Yeah. I I enjoy the odd bit of improv, but I think it gets such a silly rap from people who've been to too many bad improv things at Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. And then make fun of it on TikTok that I can't help but sort of think it's going to be crap. And it probably won't be. Like we're friends with one of the actors and she's very talented. I have a feeling the mood of the room would change it a lot. You know, if everyone's yeah. right, it's going to be funnier because it, it just is. It's like I've talked about before, isn't it? If you watch like a stand up thing, even on telly with someone who's not into it, it's not good. Yeah. Or it's like stressful. Like I find mm-hmm. when I've taken people to see things I love or mm-hmm. shown them things I love and they're not into it, then yeah. like, I, I, like I feel an overwhelming urge to apologize and explain it. Yes. Yeah. Which makes it worse. I did it for about... I, uh, I promise not to let you know if I'm not enjoying it. Thank you. <laughs> I did it. I was watching uh, Jess Foster Q's stand-up show, uh, Hench, which is on Prime now. Um, which is so good and I'm a massive fan of Jess Foster Q but I was watching it with someone who doesn't necessarily watch very much like feminist stand-up not that it's like uber feminist but it's definitely more feminist than I don't know fucking Jimmy Carr so uh, I found myself yeah, like fucking going, Jimmy Carr is an anti-feminist act I'm sorry yeah. guys yeah fucking Jim- <laughs> Jimmy Carr is not feminist you are actively upsetting the suffragettes <laughs> Specifically, the mum from Mary Poppins, who is everyone's favourite suffragette. Yeah, sure. I'm not going to argue. Probably if we did a survey. 
her daughter's daughters do adora fuck i can't oh yeah no i was watching just foscue and i was sort of having to quietly explain no see this is funny because women have to live with i don't need to do this every five minutes do that do i you get women have it rough it's fine okay it's Please taken laugh more. Oh, i've been with jack eight years this year and i rarely have to do the little ex- explanations of these things anymore which is nice I find myself doing it less and less often because also I'm just less and less willing to. Sure. Like uh, I was in the pub with some friends last week and they are people who I love dearly, but who I don't always, there's a mix of like a couple who I'm almost identical to politically and on, and then there's a few who are middle-aged men. Actually one of the middle-aged men and I are pretty much identical. Um, although he had m- nicer nails than me, which I was upset by. Yeah. Um, and someone said something really stupid about women and I didn't have the energy to anyone just be like, fuck's sake, could you, could you not? And he went, oh, you're going to get all up on your high horse. And I was like, no, I'm very tired. Could you just stop? I have got to the point where if it comes out, I'm just like, that is a weird thing to say. And I can leave it at that now. So I think that's personal growth. I do like the tactic of when someone makes a very bad, like non-PC joke of asking them to explain to me why it's funny. I like the idea of it, but I don't think I've ever actually done it. I have, but I, I think I just got the other. Around middle-aged men than you. Well, that's not true. In a non-professional setting. Yeah. I mean, I've cut down massively because I live further away it's from the habit. pub than I used to. Yeah. Yes, I'm trying to give up middle-aged men. No offence to any middle-aged men listening to the podcast, because I'm sure we've got one or two. Uh, yeah, no, for sure we do. But I imagine the ones that don't need to come with a health warning. Well, yes, as Pratchett fans. I I'm assuming they get, they get, they they get the benefit of the doubt to be honest <laughs> I feel like if they are still that sort while being Pratchett fans and listening to this podcast that they've got some real in interesting some... double think going on yeah there's a lack of comprehension somewhere I do wonder if anybody hate listens to us you know that's the thing I really like to think that they do special hello to all of our hate listeners out there how are you doing this evening good good I'm glad it's bad yeah I don't really listen to hate listen to anything although there are some podcasts that like i don't really like anymore but i kind of listen to out of a sense of obligation that's the shittest form of parasocial relationship i've ever heard of it's not like i even feel like i owe something to the host it's just like i subscribe to this now maybe i'll like miss something if i don't listen to it i've got a bunch of stuff i'm subscribed to and very rarely listen to anymore but it kind of works out because sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll like overdo it or i just won't feel like it for a while like uh like the writing excuses podcast I love mm. that podcast. I haven't listened to it for ages because, frankly, I'm making excuses not to do yeah. enough creative writing. But then at some point soon, I'll be like, I fancy writing and I'll listen to 10 in a row and I'll be glad I didn't unsubscribe and forget it existed. Yeah, writing excuses is a nice one because I go to it specifically when I plan on doing yeah. some creative writing. And the yeah. set of episodes they did on game writing is really good. Atlas Obscura is another one. I always let those build up and build up and they're only like 15 minutes long. So if I just need like quite interesting, but not very in-depth stuff to get me through whatever I'm doing then that's it nice little build up there I uh maintenance phase is when I let um build up sometimes because I have to keep an eye on what my mood's going to be when I listen to it because although it's an anti-diet culture podcast it's a podcast about that does talk about diets and sometimes my mental health doesn't want that yeah um oh the latest noble blood by the way it comes with a trigger warning for eating disorder stuff yeah I haven't listened to noble blood for ages to be I really that's one I like to binge yeah yeah, me too. Uh, I, I listened because I didn't get into it until it started. It had been on for a while. I listened to all of the Henry VIII's wives' ones in a row. I was like, nice. I was so in the know about the Tudors until that leaked out of my brain. 
Yeah, this is the problem. I listen to quite a few history podcasts, but I don't retain information well mm. uh, unless mm. I've like written it down or made the effort to put it in my brain. Unless, oh, unless it's the old useless fucking fact that has decided to live in my brain forever. I tell people at work about the raspberry pips thing and nobody looked very interested and I had to remind myself that not everybody is you. I was trying to think of like a good obscure fact, but now they've all left my brain. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like if somebody asks you your favourite movie, isn't it? It's like, I've never seen a film as far as I can recall, sorry. Yeah, what's your favourite album? What is music? Yeah. Uh, mm? Album. Hmm. (laughs) No, sorry. What are these albums? Oh, fun, actually, Pratchett-related news. Uh, Hmm. I got an email from Backspindle Games that the um, anniversary edition of the Clax board game is finally shipping this month and I should actually be with people in May. It was supposed to be with people in August last year, so this is very exciting for me. Cool stuff. Are we going to play that? We've got we a backlog of that. games to play right now, Joanna. Well, yes, we haven't had a chance to play what next year. Plus, you and I have never actually played... Oh, no, we have played Discworld Ain't More Pork together but yeah, once, many really years ago. Uh, I've never played... I've got the Witches board game and I've never played it, but we... adding packs to my collection means there's only two I haven't got hold of. Should we... Um, we should probably like make a podcast. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> we have to do the episode, Francine. Would you like to make a podcast, Francine? Yes, I would like to make a podcast. Yes. All right, let's make a podcast. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the Tree Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen, and I'm Francine Carroll, and this is part two of our discussion of Carpe Jugulum. It is. We are seizing by the throat. uh, Yeah, no. Something like that. I was going to say something Latin-y, but I forgot what I was going to say. That's cool. Cool. Uh, Note on spoilers before we crack on. We are a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, heavy spoilers for the book Carpe Jugulum. But we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series. And we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Cartwheeling across a terrifying bridge. Of course. With a scout falling over your head. If you fancy a cartwheel. Of course. Uh, follow up. Have follow we got up. stuff to follow up on, Francine? I want to see if I can play the Count censored video with a share screen so that the listeners can hear a bit of it. Okay. This is new technology to me. Um, I know share audio exists. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, vampire-related videos, listeners, is The Count Censored, where somebody has edited a video of The Count from Sesame Street. Muppets? Sesame Street. Sesame Street, yep. Okay. Advanced sharing options, computer audio. You know that I am called the Count because I really love to. (laughs) Sometimes I sit and (laughs) all day, (laughs) but sometimes I get carried away. I slowly, slowly, slowly getting faster. Once I start in fing, it's very hard to stop. I've seen I'll it link before. to that in the show notes, listeners. It's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen or heard. 
Uh, it's somehow funnier with just the audio because now I'm creating the images in the in my head myself. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's nearly a follow up. <laughs> I have a small follow up that I can't remember what it was. Was it the last episode or episode before last? You were saying that the Anastasia Pratchett file kind of mentioned the same thing sometimes, like bigger on the inside, always ended up as a that was, reference. Yeah, that was like uh, the last continent when we were talking about the tower. That's right. Um, and I found quite a long uh, forum post by Leo Bribart who put together yeah. the thing, and it's from 1998, where basically he was saying that the kind of scope of the APF expanded a lot because the idea to start with was to put down things that people might not get. And then he realized that things that people might not get it was a lot wider than he thought, especially when non uh, people who didn't speak English as a first language started reading it and things like that. And yeah. there's quite a long explanation, which I found quite interesting, and I'm going to link to as well. Oh, cool. And then also, brief follow-up. Um, I've been asking lots of people about magpie rhymes and superstitions, and pretty much everyone I have asked so far, of varying generations, only knows the uh, one for sorrow, two for joy, for three for a girl, four for a boy. Mm-hmm. But you acquired your copy of the Oxford Dictionary of Superstitions, which has some more variety to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just annoyed at this one. I've expressed this to you already. But one of them is one for sorrow, two for luck, three for a wedding, four for death. And mm-hmm. like it doesn't work. It should rhyme. And so I've decided that one should go. And I'm sure this was a version, if nothing else, something that some kids came up with to giggle at. That it but should it's... be one for sorrow, two for, two for luck, uh, three for a funeral, four for a fuck. It did say there in brackets, brackets, variant mirth, and mirth and death are better. Ver- mirth, it, well, it's got variant mirth and variant birth, and they yeah. rhyme. But yeah, luck I'm doesn't going rhyme with... with any of that, obviously. Exactly. So it should be <laughs> one for sorrow, two for luck, three for a funeral, four for a fuck. Yep. The opposite of a funeral. Exactly. Kind of. Well, <laughs> okay, so a wedding is the opposite of a funeral, but most people kind of christening, I suppose. Mm. Anyway. Mm. Four weddings and a funeral, I think, has tainted our mind there. So. Yeah, well, four fucks and a funeral is a very different film, Francie. <laughs> I mean, it could be cool. <laughs> I, I'm not going to Google and find out if that's a thing. I'm not going to. Okay, good. Not I without mean, going into incognito mode. Yeah. Anyway. There's lots of cool stuff about magpies in there anyway. Yes, we'll go into that in, in more depth at some point. Will we? Will we now? Will we? I'm trying to get you to put the books down now so we record the podcast episode rather than you just reading the Oxford Dictionary <sighs> of Superstitions. All right, all right, I'll put it not out of my reach because that would be foolish, but out of my sight. There we go. Well done. Rosie, would you like to tell us what happened previously in Carpe Jugulum? I would. <clears throat> previously on Carpe Jugulum. One which wrangles with two minds, three to a coven, the fourth feels maligned. Vampires roll in with the mist, to kingdom cowed and fears dismissed. Agnes swayed by revenant's charm, Perdita rallies, raises alarm. A cottage is empty to nanny's concern. Magpie misdeed means granny was spurned. Amazing. And tells us nothing, but I have to assume that everybody listened to part one, which kind of isn't the point of a recap, is it? As the previously on, you meant to have watched it anyway. It's like a reminder, so maybe yeah, that helped. Your version like a really cool. cryptic prompt. <laughs> anyway, would you like to tell us what happened this time, which is at least slightly more relevant? <laughs> no, I've written the entire thing as crisp cryptic crossword clues. Fantastic, I'm into this. I have not. Oh. I hate. I'm not good at cryptic crosswords. I, apparently, I can't fucking say it. Uh, in this section of Carpe Jugulum, 
In the early hours, the Count and his family carefully try some vegetable blood as they enjoy a terrible glass of wine and endure a selection of religious symbology before suggesting King Verence to break their fast. Uh, back at Granny's cottage, as Nanny enlightens Agnes on witchy hierarchy, they find Granny's christening invite in a nearby magpie nest. Mightily Oates arrives, having planned to look in on Granny, and accepts the offer to walk slash be walked home with by Agnes. We learn that he remains pink fog free and able to see the vampires for what they are. Hodzar, hunting the phoenix, bumps into Agnes notes and informs them he spotted Granny this morning as the doyen of drama herself carefully crosses the stream on a strange moor. She can't stop here. It's gnarly country. After a visit to Nanny, Agnes notes head to the castle to bring back Magret and complete their trio. More coaches fill the road to the castle and Agnes notes sneak in handily empty coffins. They're almost caught out by the intrepid eagle, but mightily oats fightily smites him and they acquire Magrat. <laughs> Thank you, I'm really proud of that. Uh, who may not believe in vampires, but certainly believes in Granny. As the Count uses magpies to search out Granny's mind, the witches meet at Nanny's to scry Granny before setting out for the gnarly ground. Hodges spots a shape-shifting bird and flames flicker as the Count discusses a wounded phoenix and Granny gone to ground with the family. At the gnarly ground, as Nanny worries about baby Esme, Perita takes over and gets Agnes over the optical illusion of the treacherous landscape. In the caves, a sleeping Granny tries to keep them out and they find her firebird feather. She wakes and informs them that she shan't come back. Nanny pops back and in whispers, Granny admits that she just can't win this time. Back at Nanny's, a deal is struck with the newly arrived Nekmak Fiegel, giving them an island to protect the local Kubisties from Snafflin. Nanny plans a spontaneous mob for the front of the castle, while Agnes sneaks in to get the doors unlocked. An amorous Vlad shows her the family history, and as a holy water attack fails, he spells out the magpire plans. Uh, the Count confronts the mob politely, but flanked by a couple of threatening corporals. As the witches gear up to a confrontation and Oates fails at exorcism, Granny finally makes her dramatic entrance, only to be caught up by the Count. She sends herself elsewhere as Nanny and Margaret run, and the vampires plan to take Granny as sacrament, turning her in the process. Agnes and Oates are thrown out in the rain, and Granny is tossed out after. Meanwhile, Verence finds himself taken from the castle by something small, blue, and possibly a bit Pictish. Yeah. Cool. You're on one today, yeah. That was good. Thank you. Lots of wordplay. I enjoyed that. We like to squeeze in a little bit here and there. Hey. Uh, helicopter and loincloth watch. I am going to say that the Nakmak Fiegel have something of the loincloth implied about them. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. well, if Nanny can seal the tattoos. Yeah, and I'm going with Furtive Phoenix for the helicopter. Sure. Specifically Furtive Phoenix. So if I need to use the Phoenix next week again, I can, as long as it's not Furtive. Okay. Fantastic. Quotes. What about him? Who's going first? Uh, you, I think. I'm going to go first then. Uh, where am I? You are on page 171. Now I'm on page 174. I can't read. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that bodes well for our podcast <laughs> about a book. Hi, my name is Jared. I'm 19. I never learn to fucking read. <laughs> magpies flocked around the castle tower. Most magpie rhymes peter out at around 10 or 12. But here were hundreds of birds, enough to satisfy any possible prediction. There are many rhymes about magpies, but none of them is very reliable because they are not the ones magpies know themselves. Way. I promise to calm down on the magpie ship for the rest of the episode. Do you? No. Okay, good. Because it's quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, my quote is a little later on. 
says Matt Grant. Don't get angry, but you don't think Granny's doing this on purpose, do you? Keeping back, I mean, so that we have to form a three and work together. Why'd she do that? So we develop insights and pull together and learn valuable lessons, said Magret. Nanny paused with her pipe halfway to her lips. No, she said. I don't reckon Granny'd be thinking like that because that's soppy garbage. <laughs> I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed that a little bit later on, Agnes is kind of highlighted as understanding that. So yes. while Magret is still somehow thinking that Granny's some mentor figure, uh, Agnes is like, well, no, like Nanny and Magrat thinks that Granny's jump ship to baby as me because it's narrative oh, yeah, satisfaction actually, and that's bullshit. The actual line, um, I mean, we're jumping into characters now and I was starting with Granny anyway, Sweet. Uh, was um, lending herself to the baby had a sort of rightness to it, a folklore touch, a romantic ring. And that's why Nanny and Magrat would probably believe it. And that's why Granny wouldn't do it. Granny had no romance in her soul, but she did have a very good idea of how to manipulate the romance in other people. Yes. I love that when you combine it with this idea of Granny waiting for the dramatic moment to walk in slash walk, always walking in at the right moment. Yeah. yeah. She may not have any romance in her soul, but she has a touch of the theatrics to her. Yeah. She knows how the story's meant to go, certainly. And she knows what her place is in the story because mm. she... Chose it. Speaking of, I quite liked, and I didn't follow this up more. I'm not sure if you did. Later on, when it was a, you hold on to my hand, Agnes will hold on to yours. Yeah, I've been this way a few times. It ain't hard. It's like a children's story, said Agnes. Yes, we're down to the bone now, all right, said Nanny. Oh, that was such a good line. That was nearly yeah. my quote. Yeah. But that idea of the children's story being down to the bone, like it's like yeah. the most purest distilled form yeah. of story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy um, that. Good. Glad I managed to shoehorn that in somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, granny and making granny. choices. Mm. Um, sorry, I just walked right over you. No, no, I finished my sentence. Please continue. <laughs> um, Nanny's explaining granny to Agnes a little bit, and she's talking about um, she's always standing behind herself and criticizing what she's doing because she's terrified she'll go bad. Yeah. And, you know, she's so moral because she's got granny weatherwax staring over her shoulder. Mm. It's this thing if she's not automatically a good person she's making the choice to be good yeah each time she has to make a choice yeah and you see there's a couple of moments where nanny kind of feels that coming on in herself and makes a little comment like you do well to cope with this kind of thing it's a um it's interesting watching the dynamics play out with the witches now that there is at least for the purposes of this section of the book the uh the hierarchy shift yeah yeah um and Granny kind of finally making the choice, at least in part, while she's up in the caves, to not be involved in this idea of ought. Yes. I wonder if she would have come around a bit quicker if the word ought hadn't been used, because she obviously hadn't realised about the, the invitation. She then hadn't realised about the invitation. She straight away because you can't admit that it was the invitation that did it. No. Or the name of the baby, which is the revelation in the same couple of sentences. Mm. Uh, she didn't know the baby was named after her. But she's yeah. sort of, there's lots of things that ought, I dare say, but they ain't. Ooh. Which gorgeous little set of sentences there. Love that. Absolutely. The, um, oh, the between can and can't one was good as well. I've had a lifetime of ought between, I've had a lifetime of ought from can to can't, which then Nanny explained later. 
to the point where I, I imagine that Pratchett loves that phrase so much he he then explained it through Nanny because usually he wouldn't really he'd just leave his little country sayings and for people to look up if they wanted to. It's like, no, I like that saying. You're all going to learn it. <laughs> I feel like that's going to make its way into my le- lexicon somewhere. It's an enjoyable saying. I think I might force it into my lexicon so, it's, so I sound cool. Cool, like an old witch, uh, as they say. <laughs> but moving all of the hierarchy kind of up one mm. and granny taking herself out of this equation this comes back to my kind of working theory that this is one of the best witches books and one of the reasons is that granny takes herself out of the equation yeah partly for the she's overpowered granny x machina thing and the fact that it completely subverts that by her being beaten by the vampires yeah that's a it's a weird scene isn't it i mean for a start she knew it was going to happen yeah she admits and she can't do it but when she walks in um, this is page 240 in my copy. Um, Agnes notices that she's wet. She's never seen mm-hmm. Granny wet before. And it's such a good callback to equal rights where she's walking through the rain without it touching her. I know. I always think of Granny when I walk through the rain. Mm. Like, maybe if I walk right, I won't get wet. So far, no luck. But I do feel cooler walking upright like I don't give a shit through the rain rather than hunched over. Like, it yeah, depends on how waterproof my makeup is that day. Oh, yeah, no, I never really wear enough eyeliner for it to be an issue anymore. I've just accepted that sometimes I will look like a bedraggled poet, and that's okay. Did you ever find a word, a rhyme for daffodil? No, oh, and I, w- I wish not to discuss that. Daffodil, bath to fill. <laughs> God, I sound like modern major general nonsense that wasn't it better major general has never strategy (laughs) (laughs) um that same bit where she walks in and she's wet there is uh a line i feel like i'd be remiss not to mention which is when the count's saying oh and you're going to win and then you'll give me your shopping list of i expect you to free and she says no i will expect you to die which i assume is is intentionally a james bond reference is that I, I had no idea about James Bond movies. I'm it's sorry, a, I take it that I, was one of the classic ones. Was it? As a very, very classic, famous moment where Bond's like being—I don't know. There's a laser between his legs or something. He's like, "Do you I, expect me to talk?" And the bagger's like, yeah. "No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die." Yeah. No, I know the line. Yeah, I was just wondering. Yeah. I didn't know which movie it was. I assume it was oh, before this book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know which one it is. Um, mm. I'm sure a listener points to the listener who tweets us first and tells us which one. Thank you. Thank you. Because I couldn't be bothered to Google it. Um, Gold star to the listener. Yes, metaphorical. metaphorical. <laughs> Not allegorical. Uh, we don't do allegorical gold stars on this podcast and make an awful mess. <laughs> anyway. No, I don't know what I'm talking about this. Thank you very much for noticing. So yeah, I mean, along the theme of hierarchy still is moving on to Nanny, where she is really not happy about the shift. It doesn't suit her. It's, it's it's really interesting, especially when you look at her, like especially in relationship to Magra, because mm. Nanny works perfectly as a counterpoint to Granny because she's got all the sort of down human realness that Granny's kind of lacking. Yeah. Um, that's her mother to Granny's other one. But when you put Nanny in the position of the other one and have Magra as the mother, Magra is a very different sort of mother because Nanny mm. as the mother is all the kids are grown up. She coos over a grandkid and gives it gives it a sweetie and gives it back. Mm. And even Whereas, when they weren't, I feel like she wasn't like Magra out with her teddy bear shaped sponge and sponge shaped teddy bear. Yes. But Magra is is the mother with the baby strapped to the back and um, yeah. 
and the early development and I feel like that's theories. more Verence's influence and she sort of yeah that's true understand no one would have had an influence on that either. <laughs> which actually jumping down to Margaret quickly there's this great moment where Perdita just does not like her mm. um because she's not a wet hen anymore she's not cringing mm. and also because she's being the kind of mother figure that Agnes and Perdita, by the sounds of it, don't particularly care for, where just she automatically knows. everybody gets a child label applied to them because all they're being right now is a mother. Which, yes. You know, understandable if you've got a small child, but like understandably annoying as well. But also I think it, it doesn't work because there sort of needs to be a bit of a wet hen in the group. And obviously it's not Nanny. And if it's not Margaret anymore, it could be Agnes, but not Perdita. Uh, who's too confident to be a wet hen but then if you look at the actual dynamic of how they came to witchcraft like Margaret was always a witch Agnes is a very reluctant witch yeah who tried very hard not to be yeah and she's not although she is maiden according to Perdita certainly um (laughs) she's not like that she's not the shrinking violet maiden putting flowers in her hair and meeting a jester in a cornfield she's uh no got other things to be doing thank you <laughs> she's very busy and important she's not deluding herself and magicking makeup onto her face or whatever Magrat did oh no it was her hair wasn't it yeah, yeah she was trying to make her hair <laughs> slightly more romantic yeah well, I guess I, already has great hair so I do enjoy the descriptions of Nanny's cottage with the system mm. of favour with the photographs yes <laughs> the passive aggression continues it's a passive aggression taken to an art form, and I respect it. I also um, like Nanny's ability to summon a spontaneous yeah, mob. Exactly. <laughs> a, sum- <laughs> a summoned spontaneous mob. <laughs> spontaneous mob, brackets, optional, brackets, obligatory. Uh, there's going to be a spontaneous mob storming the castle in half an hour. I put the word out. Tell everyone I said it ain't compulsory for them to be there. <laughs> you don't have to come if you don't want to. It's like the <laughs> very different toned no worries if not. Yes. There's two ways to say no worries if not. Yeah. Yes, there's the, the trying to genuinely say, no, it's fine. Don't worry, please. I'm sorry I asked you anything. And then there's the, oh, no, it's fine if you can't. <clears throat> silence. That's another nanny thing, wasn't it? Leaving a silence to be filled. Yes. Which is which a is, repeating theme through the books. It's an enjoyable theme Fimes through the books. It. Yes, Fimes does it very well. But Nari does it. Nanny does it. Um, I'm not, not going to dive in much to Perdita's weird fat phobia. No, I mean, it does feel a little less irritating coming from the teenage girl arguing with herself because that's kind of relatable. It makes sense. It's just also a bit tiring to read. Yes, yes. I mean, it, it doesn't need harping on as much as it does. I feel like also there's a difference between, you know, Perdita kind of saying it to Agnes about Agnes mm. as to Perdita saying it about like Mrs. Scorbick was the one she made uh, a point of oh, yeah. the uh, the cook in the castle kitchens. I, I do like, sorry, sorry. Uh, you... Perdita kind of calling Agnes out and saying, you know, oh, you're tr- trying to be extrovert and dynamic. Yeah. You're trying to impress me. Yeah. <laughs> She's such a toxic friend. We will have that. <laughs> Um, the um, I, I did like kind of opposite side to that when she was like Agnes is too afraid to use her muscles she's really strong like yes. I can cartwheel off this thing which is 
kind of rings true and the somebody trying to make themselves small doesn't use their power. Yeah, it's the look at what someone who is willing to could do with this body, with this ability. Yeah. Although that said, there's always the, um, you don't use all of your strengths because it'll hurt yourself unless you're in an emergency and the adrenaline goes through. So I wonder if it's something like that. With the, I feel like it, it, you know, I, I'm not going to do advice. that because I will pull all of my muscles. You don't give a shit. You're going to be punched out in a minute. <laughs> Love how that's an anti-possession. Yeah, just deck them. <laughs> uh, there's some great stuff about the abyss. Um, did you have any other notes on the witch dynamics? There's some great stuff about the abyss. Mood. <laughs> You know what? I just fucking love the abyss in this. <laughs> some great have. character development from the abyss. Some one-liners from the abyss. Fucking fantastic. Um, I, I keep talking because the... I'm sure there was something else on the dynamic I can't immediately think of. I actually have the abyss as a bullet point in little bits I liked later. And when I was worried I was going to put too many in, it was I nearly made it a location to just shoehorn more shit into this episode. <laughs> oh, I did like the fact that Nanny knew she could go immediately back and then get the actual answers from Granny. Yes, but it was the fact that Nanny and Margaret both knew. Like that's the nice thing with Margaret; she's grown up enough to yeah. take some of Nanny's role, and that either of them could have been the one to go back mm-hmm. and get those answers. Yeah, and the fact that Margaret kind of shoved aside all her nonsense as soon as she heard that Granny was. Yeah, she would, in didn't trouble. believe in the yeah. vampires, but Granny, she went would go for straight away. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Oh, who's next? Let's talk about the Mag- Magpires. Magpires. Uh, the family dynamics we get a bit more background into how they've been raised Mm. to try and uh, design that nursery wallpaper (laughs) gertie the dancing garlic i was learning how to do repeating patterns on the photoshop recently so maybe i'll i'll do some religious symbol wallpaper for you thank you fictional religious symbols possibly yes that's not accidentally do something very weird and culturally yeah. appropriative uh he's trying to cure them of phenophobia whipping out the holy symbols to test them symbols honestly uh and then i have two bullet points that are just fucking vlad and fuck boy vlad mm-hmm. do I they connect I... to anything uh they, they do connect to page numbers so i'm finding them now I don't think I like ever disliked Vlad this much in previous reads. I think I've just really decided to dive into the fuckboy Vlad belief. I think in previous reads we weren't so aware of things like uh, dating strategy nonsense, you know? Yes, and very true. And screams that. Um, he's such a dick to Igor. He is. Oh, I feel so bad for Igor. He's like oh, shouting at him for whipping so the spiders. Which is weird but <laughs> all right yes it is odd it's not how i would spend my weekend but yeah but yeah no eagle's looking all sad he's saying i'm doing my best job and he's yelling at him and calling him a baby and saying oh no one's impressed by your limp moaning about the dribbly candles those dribbly candles are hard work i bet they are i bet they are you can't just make a candle dribbly no no we'll find that out one day we will find that out one day and then as Ag- as granny has literally been like taken to be turned into a vampire and the count is kicking Agnes and Oates out into the rain and they are miserable. Vlad says, shall I see you again tomorrow? Yeah, he doesn't really get it. I guess he's never tried to do consensual relationship. It, true. You could almost sort of sympathise with him for attempting no, no, I to can't. flirt. I said almost. 
I said almost. But I say he's never done a consensual relationship. I didn't say that in a sympathetic way. Well, no, but I mean, I don't think he's tried for a relationship. He's well, just no, he's got people. all the people he's bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I feel is not. Although it seems to mostly be young men hanging around. Well, so... I assume he's bisexual. Yeah, well, the, the, all vampires, the... vampires are bisexual. I assume a peacock waistcoat is a pretty universal sign of bisexuality, no? Vampires are all bisexual. Is that not? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yes, also peacock waistcoats, yeah. definitely yeah. a symbol of bisexuality. That's yeah. why I really want one. Yeah. Just in case my inability to sit in chairs wasn't enough. Um, oh, and one last thing on the vampires. I just didn't know where else to put this note, but there is when uh, the Count's confronting Granny he says, so do you think we're really like some inbred elves? Mm-hmm. So uh, he's done his reading. He read Lords and Ladies before they came here. Good. As he should have done. It's a very nice book. It's a good callback, though. Mm, yeah. It's nice yeah. that there's sort of this awareness around the different supernatural species of like, like I like to think they're sort of gossiping, like, oh, my God, did you hear what those witches in Lanka got up to? Yeah. Especially it says uh, like some similarities between the tactics here with the, you know, the charm. Yes. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, this one comes with a lot more political awareness and uh, strategy rather than the elf queen who's, you know, kind of an animal at heart. It's a similar story told very differently. Mm. Yeah. It's almost like early versus later Gothic literature, actually, which is a, is it a whole bullet point. Yeah. yeah. No, I just said that to sound clever to be honest. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I didn't about. even argue with you. <laughs> back down <laughs> I can't argue with that I've read very little gothic literature <laughs> I'm worried one of our listeners can <laughs> all right all right then where do um, we go um, no sorry mightily oats mightily oats mightily oats I, mightily oats quite reverend quite boring oh. sort of ex- no I, I'm not being mean the book literally says he sort yeah. of exists to be boring yeah uh, but I like diving into, you know, the whole idea of vampires need to control someone who's very single-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone who's in two minds is free from their control, hence Agnes and Perdita. And it going into why Oates yeah. is out of their control, which he's so divided about, like, religion versus faith versus knowledge. Yeah, He's sort of like, obviously I believe, but like, it'd be really helpful if I could pray to him and he could literally say, go and do exactly this. Yes, exactly. Which some interesting callbacks to Small God, really, isn't it? This other had some of these crises, even when like he had his God literally in his hand. It's really fun reading this and looking at the Small God's callbacks because it's the first time we've gone into modern omniism in more de- depth than like Constable Visit. Yeah, I know we've looked into this before, but I can't remember how long it's between the two in Discworld time. I think it's quite a while. I think Small God's yeah, brother kind of... like died and yeah. Yeah, because he lives for yeah. like a hundred years. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to say at least guess a century-ish. Yeah, a yeah. century or two. Um, and yeah, he's his realization when he got to read a lot that actually all of these different translations might just be one story being told by lots of different people. Yeah. And that's made him quite stressed out and doubtful. Okay, hold on. Small gods, mm-hmm. approximately. 1885, Brother Begins for a Form of Omniism. Mm-hmm. Omnianism. Omnianism. <laughs> What's this one called? Carpe Jagulum. Uh, and this is 1989. So, so uh, yeah, just over a century. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. 
I would have gone with maybe slightly longer to allow the writings of post brother to then t- turn into their own schisms. Yeah. I don't know how long it takes for a good schism. I think we could create a schism quite quickly if we wanted to. And yes, brother that- was probably a bit busy to fix them all. Yeah, good point. That's a nice little Sunday afternoon treat, isn't it? Yeah, a little Sunday schism. schism. Schism Sundays, I like to call them. I don't because I can't fucking say it. Um, <laughs> the Count using Oates's doubt against him, you know, he can't get into his mind because of the doubt, but he can use it against him in other ways. And he's saying, you don't really believe enough to be intimidating. You know, when I met all these priests and helped them write their mm. fucking holy books, I mean, they were all wrong, but at yeah. least they were passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell he's kind of going for the being nasty because I can mention the frustration that he can't just control him. So he's going for the other weapon, which is I can see enough of your mind to really fuck you off here. Yeah. And it's a nice glimpse behind the camp who's who's mostly polite and reasonable. Even when he's fighting the witches off, he, he doesn't really slip. Yes. I think with Granny, he does a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. When but he can't, it, again, he can't even see her he's, mind. He's trying to keep the... Yes, no, that's right. Yeah, it's the same issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that seems to be, and I think the only reason we don't see him have a reaction like that about Agnes is because he's just not really paying attention to Agnes because I think he's sort of written her off as Vlad's a bit. Yeah. Which obviously I don't like anyone disrespecting Agnes. She's one of my favourite characters, but I do like the idea that he automatically doesn't respect anyone who's hanging around with Vlad because... Oh, anyone who's not putting out for the count. Hey, hey. <laughs> Ah. Oh, vampire puns. They are numerous. Oh. <laughs> they bite. Oh. <laughs> but they do suck. Right, let's carry. <laughs> that would have been so much better. <laughs> I can't pun, Francine. It's all right, no, it's, it works. It's a dynamic. Nah, okay. You, you build a platform, I work off of it. We go, we go, Hodja! 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 A one-man feudal system. <laughs> he knows his betters he knows when to doff his cap absolutely yes. i felt so bad about that phoenix i felt so bad about that phoenix it's... a little ragged phoenix at least we know he's probably going to be okay but it's very sweet and this idea of the sort of nature of phoenixes and what if it's just there's an egg and the egg needs warmth and maybe it's just very efficient incubation yeah um I want to clarify to listeners now before we consult the Oxford Book of Superstitions that I'm pretty sure you can't hatch an egg by setting fire to it. No, but there are plants that you can... Uh, there are plants that only grow through fire, aren't there? So, oh, yeah, good point. In a, in, yeah. a, in a universe where things are fucking weird already, I can quite believe this phoenix thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know the old saying, give a man an egg, he'll eat for a day, set fire to an egg. Got a phoenix. Confuse the man. Yep, Absolutely. Unless he's Hodger, who's clever enough to cover his eyes. Well, I forgot that he, I forgot that the phoenix was wounded by the Magpieres. Yes. Um, so when I was reading it, I was like, "Oh, that's cool! It sets fire to itself like a salamander dropping its tail or something. Like it's a bit of harm and a setback, but it's a self defense thing." And then a little bit later, they mentioned the wounded phoenix again. I was like, "Oh yeah, no, it just it was just hurt and died." But still, that's a cool idea. Sad little phoenix. Spontaneous combustion as a defense mechanism, like that lizard that spouts blood out of its eyes. What? You don't know about the blood spouting eye lizard? No, I don't know about the blood spouting eye lizard. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I promise, I promise I'm not making those up. 
Uh, no, I, I mean, I believe you about the blood. While you looked that up, I'm just short horn lizard. That's what it's called. Carry short horn lizard spouts blood out of its eyes. Amazing. It okay, cool. Gonna you it puts that. people off and it works. Well, yeah, I'd be put off by something spouting blood out of its eyes at me. Yeah, yeah. Um, toads, if you pick them up, will wee on you to make you put them down. And I'll tell you what, that fucking works from personal I, experience. I don't often pick up a toad. Well, my dog had cornered one. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I picked it up. And it went, blah, like lots of cold wee. And I was like, oh, put it very quickly down into the flower bed and hustled the dog inside and washed my hands, Googled toad wee or something. <laughs> I was like, there's toads wee in self-defense to make whatever's holding them drop them. And I was like, well, that's very effective. I like falling for little evolutionary tricks. It makes me feel part of nature. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that next time I need to be in camouflage. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> I'm just going to paint myself orange and walk through a jungle. Um, Sorry, I ended up talking about Toad Wee instead of <laughs> badass. It's, we don't really go many places and we're going to talk about Gnarly Ground more later, but I like the little reference to badass named because there was a donkey and it stopped in the middle of the river and it wouldn't go backwards. And so the town got named badass because I think it was mentioned before in at least one other witch's book. Mm. Um Possibly even as far back as equal rights. I think, yeah, I think Pavas was probably one of the first vaguely amusing place names we got, wasn't it? One of the middle, uh, yeah, middle stupid little villages with nothing in it. But I can't help saying it with a slightly American twang because badass, badass, bad. Sorry, ass. Americans. It's well, the word ass, ass, isn't it? In an English yeah. accent, I suppose it's very difficult to say now because ass, ass, I, ass. I, I guess, yeah. Sorry. Because my husband is from Plymouth, I've kind of picked up saying asshole instead of asshole anyway. Yeah. Apple also, which. As opposed to Apple. As opposed to Apple, yes. As opposed to Apple, which is how we pronounce it properly. (laughs) Thank you, Francine. (laughs) You know, as the Cockneys would say, apples and pears. (laughs) Apples and pears. Apple. (laughs) As apple. Apples and bars. Apples and bars. Apples right. and bars. Get your apples and bars. Two pounds an apple. <laughs> Very expensive apples. Honestly, we've still got like half an episode to get through. Bad <laughs> Yeah, should we go there? Yeah. <laughs> should we have a coffee and then? Yeah. It is held extremely unlucky to kill a cricket, perhaps from the idea of its being a breach of hospitality. Cramp bone. 1579, Lupton. Thousand notable things. The little bone in the knee, joint on the hinder leg of an heir, doth presently help the cramp if you touch the greed place therewith. Often prode. It's from Suffolk, so that's a vaguely accurate offensive accent. Apparently, the rain which runs off the leads or roof of the church is said to be restorative. I would say not to follow that advice knowing what we know about the danger of lead and religion. Yeah, that'd be good. Thank you. It is very unlucky to give a new bootlace to a friend unless he gives you a broken one in return. What? <laughs> I rushed back so I could read the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I took longer than normal as well. <laughs> yeah, sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Now you'll never know until you watch the video of our episode, which you never do. (laughs) Which I can never be bothered to do. I don't want to look at my own face for that long. No, I mean, I'm just going to put the flower crown on. That's the joy of the Trucial Mikey Fret Uncut. Yay, flower crown. Also, I want to be clear that this is white wine and not toad wee. Good. (laughs) Just the little Um, things. Should be red wine, really, shouldn't it? Fuck off, lad. All right, I like a woman with spirit. <laughs> I like a man hunched over in pain. Um, right, sorry. Should we get on with the podcast? I guess. We don't have to. No, we should. Little bits that we liked. Mm-hmm. I've got a short one because we have so many other things to talk about. And I know you've got a lot of things to say about the abyss. So. Not tons. Uh, quickly before the abyss, though, uh, right at the beginning of the okay, section so. when we're talking about the hierarchy shift. Mm-hmm. Um, Nanny's talking about the people who are the right shape mentally. She was never a maiden mentally. Mm. Whereas Agnes has an aunt who, uh, four kids, still bashful around men, tell her a saucy joke, and if you're quick, you can cook dinner for six on her head. The hereditary which, blush that Agnes has. Which, if you had to pick one of the three, which which shape would you say you are mentally? Maiden mother or crone? The other one. Oh, I mean, possibly, you know... It, it sounds odd to say, but I, I definitely a, a blusher when it comes to talking about, you know, emotions, sex, anything. Considering how long it took you to just say the word sex there. I was trying to think of a less disgusting way of saying matters of the heart. So right. I just went with sex in the end. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I mean, possibly crone as well. I think I'm a maiden, a maiden crone fusion. As much as I have no parental instinct whatsoever, I feel like I relate to Nanny most, so I'm mother in that sense. Well, you are a host, which I, do. I feel like is the a, a mother, the child-free yeah. equivalent of mother. Yeah. I am a thankfully childless mother. Instead, Oof. just God, no, that sounds bad. Yeah, <laughs> not that, not that. But yeah, if I had to pick one of the three, I think I'm the most sociable and full of dick jokes. Yeah. For sure. For sure you are that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we, we'd we need a third if we're going to put Sterling well, we put in as, the <laughs> I was say, if, if we put you as Maiden, then I feel like yeah. Sterling fits Crone pretty well. <laughs> and we will never tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> Slash will immediately say that to him as soon as yeah, we see him tomorrow. Um, I mean, I couldn't shut up for three seconds in the group chat. Oh, it wasn't even the group chat. I was just sending you more shit about awfuls. <laughs> well, I went to make a coffee. How do you like them apples? Oh, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Oranges. Apples and oranges. Uh, so the abyss? The orangutan. Sorry, the abyss. There were a couple of bits in it that made me chuckle. Uh, in the, the abyss. Around the abyss as we're crossing the Chuckle stream the that might be abyss. They stared into the abyss, which didn't stare back, which is, was it Nietzsche? Oh, could be. Could uh, be. You stare long enough into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. It might not be Nietzsche, whose name I'm also probably not saying right. Mm-hmm. Carry on. Um, and then there's another line later on when Agnes is hanging and panicking. Um, that's one word. Asking for distractions. She says, why do they yeah. say writer's nine pence as opposed to say ten pence? Mm-hmm. And handily, Rua's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable tells us 
because we don't get the explanation. See, I'm glad I looked at your notes because that was going to be my obscure reference. Ah, sorry. And, no, it's all right. I didn't even bother looking it up before we got to that point. So. Uh, nice as ninepence mm-hmm. is the earlier iteration of the phrase. Uh, a corruption of nice as nine pins in the game of nine pins. The oh. men are set in three rows with the utmost exactitude or nicety. Hmm. Uh, but we also have um, nimble as nine pence. Uh, silver nine pences were common until the year 1696 when all unmilled coin was called in. These nine pences were very pliable or nimble and being bent were given as love tokens. The usual formula of presentation being to my love, from my love. There is an old proverb, a nimble ninepence is better than a slow shilling. I just saw, I just flicked past something about crooked coins. Was this in your dictionary of superstitions? Yes. Yeah. Giving them as um, just good luck in various situations, giving them to someone before they go away on a journey. Ah. Lucky to be paid or to receive as a gift a crooked sixpence. Yeah. Cool. Which is weird because crooked sixpence sounds like it'd be a bad thing. There was a crooked man. Who lived in a crooked house. Who had a crooked cat? Yeah, but there's a crooked sixpence in there somewhere, isn't there? There is a listener listening to this right now screaming the proper thing for us. Are you Googling? Yeah, of course I am. Sorry. While you Google, I am going to talk about the last bit I enjoyed around the abyss, which is when Pedita is doing the handstand. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there was a crooked man and he went a crooked mile. He found a crooked sixpence upon a cro- against a crooked style. He bought a crooked cat, which caught a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a little crooked house. Lovely. Yeah. So I guess finding a crooked sixpence was lucky. And he bought yeah. his lucky cat with his with his lucky sixpence. And and I guess and the, lived- the mouse was happy to live with them. Because I'm guessing the cat didn't eat the mouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. When Padita's is doing her handstand. I feel like this is an early Tomb Raider reference. Oh, yeah? And annotated Pratchett Grease. There's a thing you can do in, I know, the first couple of Tomb Raider games, and I think it actually lasted through all of them, where when you're pulling up on a block or something, if you press the walk button, then she flips over and does a little handstand. And it's a completely non-functional thing. It just looks cool. It's like you can dive a certain way into deep pools. I've linked to uh, a video. Does she still have that hair in her neck? quite possibly <laughs> but she's not wearing a voluminous <laughs> petticoat oh. but yeah i've linked to a video of it from tomb raider one in the show notes but i know terry pratchett was a big tomb raider fan and it was kind of like a fun yeah. thing that you could i remember it very clearly from tomb raider 2 because it was very fun oh i can do this fun silly little pointless thing that sounds very likely then to be a yeah yeah for sure because yeah it was the little handstand on the edge not just the cartwheel she'd been talking about so yeah yes cool. so yes i enjoyed that very good well spotted is there any more abyss content? That's that's all my abyss content for the day. I, I, I liked how we foreshadowed the abyss and then it was all nice. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, just a couple of little nanny similes I thought I'd go for this time. You know how I like weather and you know how I like nanny og one-liners. I very much enjoyed her describing the priest as wetter than a thunderstorm sandwich <laughs> and as wet as a snow omelette. And special mention to not an Aniog simile, but a wonderful simile all the same. Suddenly picking his words like a man pulling plums from a boiling pot. Ooh. Ooh. Good, right? That's a nice one. It's a very one. pleasing sentence to say, and it is a good simile. That delights me. Yeah. Super simile corner over. 
Let's go on to the bigger stuff then. Do you want to talk about the subjective nature of reality? I mean, not really, but I've put it down now, haven't I? So yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Stupid thing to do. No, it's, it's not as deep as it sounds because um, there's lots of interesting stuff on vampires to get through. So first of all, crossing this river in Gnarly country, mm-hmm. uh, it, like how dangerous it is, possibly. How almost. terrifying yeah, it is. How terrifying it is, certainly depends on mood do you think if you had time or like even if you didn't have time if you were quite concerned about getting over safely is there no way to get yourself into a better mood to cross this thing well think about if you like try and think yourself happy you end up more annoyed and because you can't help if it's like when someone says don't think about pink elephants the first thing that comes to your mind is a pink elephant true if you try which is like a the mental uh discipline is kind of part of what they do isn't it but I don't think they can do it on themselves quite so well. Oh, yeah. I mean, Nanny is so in touch with herself. She can't not feel what she's really feeling. Magra has found a very solid centre of confidence, mm. but also she can't get over her concern for Granny. That's really first and foremost in her mind. Agnes is quite scared of things and it takes yeah. someone with Pedita's confidence to go, no, it's a little stream. I wonder if getting drunk would work in the same way that it does. Fighting vampires. vampires. Yeah, but sometimes some parallels there. But being drunk kind of exacerbates whatever you're already going through sometimes, doesn't it? True. But Nanny Og seems to just enjoy it. Yes, true. I think if you've got <laughs> Nanny Og drunk, she could cross. If yeah. you've got Magret drunk. I feel like Magret is the kind of one who like drinks gin and then cries on staircases. Absolutely. She is, yeah. Yeah. Nobody yeah. likes my shoes. <laughs> I made 50 fucking vegetarian volivants. I'm never going to get these forget-me-nots out of my hair. <laughs> Anyway, my sorry. husband jingles <laughs> we've all been there but anyway sorry i like i like i like i like the fact that the reality is different through different eyes and that is very philosophical so we're not going to go into the philosophy of that in the round world i don't know why we've both completely forgotten how to say words but we should probably remember again what was what we do um Nah, it's funnier this way. Okay. But for me, mm, a kind of physical sense as well. I've always found it quite interesting as how much of your physical form shapes your personality in that. Okay. So similar questions arrive when you're talking about cloning somebody's brain, uploading someone's brain, or when you talk about performing a head transplant, the questions arise about, is that going to be you or just kind of a very odd copy of you because it's not being filtered through things like hormones through things like your a, a body just changes in various ways depending on what it's gone through and how much does that filter your brain and your perception it's also this kind of nature versus nature argument isn't it of how yeah. much of it is filtered by what's around you and how much of it is built into your very bones exactly and i like that there's kind of an example of this here by perdita being able to see things as they are yeah, despite being in exactly the same surroundings, because she's somehow separated from whatever it is that Agnes is getting anxious so, over. Yeah, so much it is built into sort of Pedita being so confident, so extroverted, That's true. yeah, uh, self-assured. Yes, but then the uh, Midley Oates's second mind is not that. No, and is also well, I don't know. He never came to the bridge, but he's also impervious to the well, yes, impervious to the vampire stuff, but not. He gets a migraine from it, doesn't he? Whereas Pedita mm. gets smug. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd be interested to have read like Mighty Oates' reaction to the gnarly ground. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. 
Ah, for sure. And yeah, I just, I'd really like the concept, the whole concept of gnarly ground is one of those Pratchett things that again, stuck with me, couldn't have told you which witch's book it was from, it, everything down to the line about pulling on ridiculous wool socks to go through the gorse. It's just wonderfully described. And I think if you've ever, ever been on a moorland in certainly England, and I'm sure lots of other parts of the world, you know exactly what it looks like and yes. how thick socks you would need. Uh, it's this idea <laughs> and of the, the stone bridges you've seen, even the dry yeah. stone bridges that look like they're going to fall down at any second. It's this idea of the land literally being scrunched up like a piece of paper that I really love. Um, fjordish. Very fjordish. Uh, fiddly bits, they took me forever. I've got an award for them. Um, <laughs> I love the, uh, the the thing as well about like that being able to just about spot the way in like a gap between glass and I don't know it's all somehow incredibly imaginable even though it's completely unrealistic. detached from reality yeah but then also think about you know a walk will feel like it takes longer if you're in a shit mood and don't mm. want to or if the weather's that yeah. way and also if you think My about favorite subjects huh? walking in different places feels different and feels like it's taking longer or less time depending yeah. on where you are like uh, going walking up in the moors is this very freeing experience where it can feel like you've had like a nice hour long wander and then you realise you've been gone for six hours because you're enjoying it so much. I think that's when you get taken by the fairies, Joanna. Oh, yeah, good point. That's a gnome side effect. <laughs> but whereas oh, no, wait, like, no, that's 100 years, yeah. <laughs> I'm also talking about like how walking in different places feels for me personally. Obviously, your mileage may vary, but like walking in a city always feels very stressful and like, Mm-hmm. A 10 minute walk feels like it took an hour because you were so surrounded by buildings and people that it made everything more intense. Yes. Uh, unless you've got nowhere to be. Yeah. In which case it can be quite nice, but um, even so, diff- very different from walking in the open space. Uh, it's also, yeah, the novel- novelty of somewhere makes it very different. I I hate taking the same route too many times, um, even if it's like one of my favourite walks. After a while, I'll just be like, I can't walk that again for a few months now. I'm going to go somewhere yeah. else. Can't do it. And I think that's a that's a time dilation thing. I think novelty always makes time pass a little faster or a little more pleasantly. But then again, I was reading that uh, novelty makes time. It's, it's the difference between the hours ticking by and the weeks or years ticking by, isn't it? Novelty yeah. makes time seem to go a little slower in that the pandemic seemed to pass in a second into the yeah pandemic uh the lockdowns lockdowns. yeah um whereas each day dragged yeah Yeah. time dilation is fun i could just talk about that for ages yeah me too but we shouldn't (laughs) my my, my, my theory my theory i think i might have said this on the podcast before my theory is that the key to functional immortality is somewhere in those 10 minutes that stretch out to the perception of three hours when you press snooze on your alarm clock and you have an epic and I mean epic, not in an epic dude sense, so like an epic dream. Yeah. Like with three acts. And it's only been five, 10 minutes when you've been asleep. I feel like the key to me living as long as I want to is in that. Somehow inhabiting that dream space time wise, yeah. but not consciousness wise. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. vampires. Cool. Speaking of immortality, yes. Amazing segue. Let's talk about vampires. Let's. So I talked last week a bit about the fact that this is obviously parodying the Gothic literature tradition. Uh, so I'm just, I hid a note earlier so you can see it because it's really fucking funny. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, um, I had to go in to check that I wasn't like doing Joanna's research twice. So, because we're both interested in the same things, oddly enough. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of vampires and literature. I'm going to mm-hmm. say to the listeners now, I'm mostly looking at Western literary traditions, specifically British, because if I started going into all the folklore and all the fiction, this would have been like a full PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> As it is, it's just several, like a- I'd say. Yeah. Quite possibly several. Yeah. Just touching on a few interesting themes. If you want more details specifically of vampires in Gothic literature, Your Dead to Me has a really good episode on it that helped me a lot today, and I've linked to it in the show notes. Also, so has Radio 4's In Our Time, which was on yesterday, actually, so it's the uh, 7th of April, and is still on BBC Sounds. Uh, I'm so also- there's a couple of very cool long programs about it for a fun chat about vampires and pop culture uh, recommendation of the week is a newish podcast called trial by content listeners will know i'm a massive fan of joanna robinson and it's joanna robinson with uh dave gonzalez and neil miller who she had a very good lost podcast with that was a game of thrones podcast before that this new one they take some kind of pop culture question and they each bring their example of the best something and debate it and they take listener submissions And the last episode was The Greatest Vampire Sire. Mm. And they specifically said Sire because the specification was rather than trying to argue about what makes a vampire the best vampire. And they're talking about like in TV and film, they say Sire. So it's got to be the best vampire that you would be willing to hang around with for eternity. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. I like that. Uh, So the suggestions put forward were um, Lestat, specifically Tom Cruise's Lestat from the film Interview with a Vampire rather than going into the full like Vampire Chronicles um, by Anne Rice. Uh, Joanna Robinson obviously put forward Spike from Buffy. Sure. Uh, Neil put forward Naja from What We Do in the Shadows, which would be my pick. I was going to say, as, as gorgeous as James Masters was, probably still is, I don't think I'd want to hang out with Spike from Buffy for very long. Once um, you've gotten over the sex appeal, he's very annoying. Yeah, true. I, I, you again. Mileage may vary. Some good arguments were put forward. Okay. Uh, some of the listeners' suggestions were great, including the Count from Sesame Street that they vetoed as their like listener pick because what if you also got turned into a Muppet? Mm, but would you um, mind if you were a Muppet? I think I would. I don't think okay. I'd want to be a Muppet. Okay. Uh, but the the winner of the listener picks was Eric Northman from True Blood. Which yes, because who wouldn't want to spend an eternity with Alexander Skarsgård? He's really hot. Okay. He's very attractive. True Blood is an awful, awful show that I fucking love. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. So that's a good uh, chat about vampires and pop culture with a fun side argument of should vampires be sexy, which brings me back to vampires in literature. Nice. Uh, so vampire folklore goes at least as far back recorded as the medieval era. Um, it has been around for a while. Uh, in fact, one of the medieval suggestions for killing a vampire was to put a brick in their mouth just because that would stop them from biting you. So I feel like that's kind Very of being referenced <laughs> with the put a lemon yeah. in the mouth, put a whatever in the mouth. Yeah. Which it does make sense. Um, it was around the 18th century, we start okay. seeing sort of codifying written details of how to potentially defeat vampires. Um, we have one of the first sort of written this is how you deal with vampires, non-fiction pieces from 1746. Augustine Calmet, who was a abbot, 
um, who wrote the Treatise on the Apparitions of Spirits, Non-Vampires or Revenants, mm-hmm. and suggested the usual beheading, the usual burning, sucking on their gums. Gross. Yeah. Uh, smearing yourself with dead blood. Gross. Uh, and then vampires end up in poetry. So we're still in the 18th century. We have 1748, De Vampire by Heinrich August Ossenfelder. With a Y? Uh, no, it's German, so it's V-A-M-P-I-R. Okay. Alternate spellings, love it. Um, which is a poem about vampires and considered like one of the first examples in fiction. Okay. Uh, and then we go over to 19th century. We have John Stagg's The Vampire, spelt Y-R, uh, which is probably one of the first like British poems. We have a poem from Lord Byron, published in 18, the... I don't think I'm saying that right. Um, inspired by learning folklore in Greece when he was on his grand tour. The Jawa translates as it's a particularly insulting term for a Christian infidel. Oh. Um, and then, so this is great. So in 1816, it was actually written in 1800, but published in 1816, we have Sam Taylor Coleridge's poem, Christabel. Okay. Which is very fucking sapphic. Oh, tell me. Uh, it, it's just very queer. It's about some. Uh, the hero is Geraldine, or the vampire might be Geraldine. Christabel might be the one who's dealing with Geraldine and eventually does deal with her. Okay, so this takes us to Geneva. You know that famous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know that famous trip that was like Byron and the Shelleys and Polidori yeah, 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 was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. They're all stuck in Frankenstein. Got Brit. Yeah, they're all telling each other horror stories. So Byron decides to read this poem by Coleridge. Okay, okay. And gave Percy Shelley a panic attack. Oh dear. Because of the lesbians. This stanza in particular, apparently, and I got a lot of this from your to me. Beneath the lamp, the lady bowed and slowly rolled her eyes around. Then drawing in her breath aloud, like one that shuddered, she unbound the cincture from beneath her breast, her silken robe, and in a vest, dropped to her feet and in full, full in view, behold her bosom and half her side, a sight to dream of, not to tell. Oh, shield her, shield sweet Christabel. I'm sorry, is that a panic attack, Cardi? It goes on to like, there's something weird under there, but oh. Percy Shelley like full on panic attacked because, and like had to go and have a lie down in theory, because he was like imagining what was so terrifying under there and had this particular vision in his head can you guess what it was? Because this is about to be one of my favourite things I'll have ever said in the podcast. Um, I mean, no, something corpsey. I don't. Eyeball nipples. What? Eyeballs for nipples. What? <laughs> That's so weirdly specific, Percy. <laughs> There's so many different comedic directions you can go. Do you want to send the podcast here? Yeah, I think forever. <laughs> so eyeball is, nipples. Eyeball nipples. Like, hmm. This is my first. And, and he's told people about this, obviously, yeah. because we know it. So, yeah, eyeball nipples, which A, I thought of then, you know, you've got one of those stupid questions you ask people like, do you want, I don't know, feet for hands or hands for feet? Sure. Would you rather have eyeballs for nipples or nipples for eyeballs? I mean, eyeballs for nipples. Obviously, Obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> also, um, Bimini Bomboulash in Drag Race Season 2. 
doing Snatch Game as Katie Price saying the eyes are the nipples of the face. I just really wanted to get that line in there. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move this on from Eyeball Nipples, but still in Geneva. So Byron's daughter. Oh, is it recorded what Mary thought about this vision? I haven't found any thoughts about Mary's opinion on eyeball nipples, but she went I mean, and she married him a, after. So. She went and invented a genre in the other room. So I yeah. feel like, like have you ever been so weirded out you just went and invented a genre about it? Like who hasn't done that at a house party? Right? Fucking Percy Shelley, honestly. Sorry, carry on about Geneva, <laughs> I guess. Okay, so um Byron brought his doctor with him to Geneva, John Polidori. I know John- that guy. Yeah, Polidori went on to write The Vampire, which is kind of considered the first use of vampires in prose as opposed to poetry in Western literature. He was only um, 20 when he went on this little retreat. He was. He, he was, was very young. And um, he didn't go and have a heart attack about Ival Niffles. No, unfortunately, he did kill himself. Oh, yeah, there was that. Yeah, because uh, he prob- wrote prob- The Vampire. I mean, not, not officially. <laughs> Well, he wrote The Vampire and then his publisher was kind of a dick and decided to publish it under Byron's name because it would make more money that way. And Byron blamed Polidori for it. And Polidori, like, ended up losing a lot of money and eventually killed himself. Maybe. But, yeah. Officially, he did not because he was allowed a Catholic burial. The doctor said oh, yeah. natural causes. However, as he was a doctor and he was very depressed and 26. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably that. But... um. But yeah, interesting that that was a thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also the vampire, this is very, everyone's very creative with their naming here. We have the, the vampire, the vampire, and the vampire. Wow. Yeah. Very creative. Um, um, was what? kind of a parody thing as well. He was taking the piss out of like the Byronic hero, his character, like his vampire character was kind of just taking the piss out of Byron. Well, the story went, didn't it? The story he told is that Byron started this short story about a vampire and abandoned it. This was on the retreat. And yeah. Pers- and, and Polidori, Polidori finished it, it. Yeah. And there's some dispute. The whole thing is very muddy as to whether Byron contributed more than he did as to whether it was even written on this retreat as to blah, 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 blah. But yes, at the rest, as you say, though, the, the whole publishing under someone else's name nonsense ruined his fucking career. And yeah. Yeah, his life. But yeah. Um, the... The, the the parody thing, I also heard an interesting interpretation that this was kind of, well, this is one of the first times the vampires became more aristocratic. Yeah. And there's some suggestion that it's kind of playing off the fact that aristocrats were for the first time being seen as these leeches. And it's yeah. obviously very, now very common, uh, very popularized by Marx, for instance, to refer to the, the ruling classes as leeches, as vampires, but um, less so then. And if you look at the Count and his family, that's exactly what they've done. They've come in to leech mm. off this kingdom as aristocrats. Parody of a parody. Meta. A very meta. Pastiche of a homage, just to mix up the words a bit. Yeah. Anyway, so that was like early 18th century. Then we get to 19th century. We get to the end of the 19th century, which is when Dracula is published. Yeah. <laughs> um, quite so I've, for- down- I've gone so far as to download the vampire vampire whatever to read for next week i'm not sure i'm going to do the same with dracula gotta be honest i've read it before actually doing these notes did make me kind of want to reread it i probably won't get around to it next week though. i feel like i'm probably going to do a chapter or two just so i can yeah. compare them you know so a really extensive in its use of actual transylvanian folklore 
Stoker did do his research. Good lad. Um, but it's kind of where we start getting sexy vampires. You said that like it was a bad thing, but I know that's something you like. No, I'm very into sexy vampires. Okay. Okay. Um, and there's lots of theories about vampires used in fiction and whether there's this kind of fear of immigrants, which is very much an underlying thing in mm. Dracula. There are the good immigrants like Van Helsing and the Texan guy. And then there's the bad immigrant who's coming in on the ship eating the captain. And then <laughs> that is fairly bad behavior. <laughs> there's a very weird vibe to it. There's also this, this, weird sexuality to it there's harker on his back with the women feeding on him which is very submissive and you're talking victorian era which you know sexuality was treated very strangely and then there's There's also a lot of assumption sexuality wasn't there as well the whole idea of like paleness and blood and everything was very hypersexualized at the time yeah and then you also have the there's a lot of popular theorizing obviously we can't know for sure that stoker was possibly gay oh okay um and dealing with ideas of persecution around it, he was really good friends with Oscar Wilde and he started writing Dracula about a month after Oscar Wilde was imprisoned for depravity. For gay. For gay. Yeah. Um, and there were some very, very homoerotic letters between Bram Stoker and Walt Whitman. I feel Why like burying the lead there a bit with the evidence. Yeah. That's <laughs> See, was he was noted friends with a, a homosexual and started writing it after the homosexual was imprisoned. And also he did sex talk with another man. <laughs> Take your pick, which is the most compelling evidence. <laughs> well, it sounds like they were a bit more homoerotic on Walt Whitman's side, and Walt Whitman definitely just sort of had that vibe. Who's Walt Whitman? Uh American poet. Okay. Um, but then there's also some interesting stuff about Mina and Lucy as the two women of Dracula uh, as two representation. You have the kind of new woman's feminist movement coming in around this time. Um, and Lucy is kind of this sexually ambitious new woman. You know, she's got these three men fighting over her. Um, and then you have Mina, who's this kind of intellectual, ambitious. Um, and you also bring in that as Dracula is really, really... I was very up on their technology. Right. It's very new versus old. You have Van Helsing and his gang kind of uh, using shorthand, which was an amazing new thing at the time. It was cutting edge. Um, and Jonathan Harker with a Kodiak camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Against this thing coming in from the old country with his fog and his bats and his weird little bug-eating dude. <laughs> Very old-fashioned to have a bug-eating dude. It is, yeah. And who brings their own fog with them these days? I mean, you can just buy fog when you get there. Yeah, like it's not worth the travel, the the, the expense. Yeah, how do you, it's really hard to put a customs label on fog. Yeah, you have to kind of throw it at the fog. <laughs> Hope it absorbs the <laughs> bureaucracy. Um, I'm going to bring this back around to Terry Pratchett, don't worry. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm really not helping. <laughs> But I love this idea of the vampires were invited into the kingdom and that's why they can take over. Yeah, that was a nice idea, wasn't it? Yeah. And Dracula was probably the first book to really use the invite myth as part of the lore. It was a long held oh, really? folkloric thing because oh. it wasn't just for vampires. There's lots of folklore about and superstition about oh. not inviting things in. Of course, and you can't eat or drink or rest or uh, learn someone's name or, yeah. Yeah. But this kind of comes back to my whole idea of this. Like a lot of people think Carpe Joculum and vampires and think Dracula. I feel like this is less a Dracula parody and more just in the grand tradition of Gothic literature. Um, uh-huh. We don't have a little bug-eating guy. Well, I don't know what Igor does and doesn't eat, but... Yeah, I feel like Igor's more a, 
homage to like the film parodies of Frankenstein. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like for sure. I missed last week. One of our listeners pointed out, I think, on Patreon that one of Eagle's lines was a blatant reference to the film Young Frankenstein. Yeah, which I should have got because Jack went through all of those Frankenstein the films fairly recently. Oh but yeah, obviously I had my headphones on. Um, but yeah, bringing it back round to the actual vampires in the books is great. You have all these different ways to kill them that frequently do and don't come up in vampire lore and vampire fiction. Mm-hmm. And I feel like perhaps it's using the folklore more than the literature. Yeah. Um, things like the idea of them being very anal retentive, all these different ways to kill them. Uh, I do love a reference to an Aunt Carmilla because that's a reference to a vampire novel from, I want to say the early 20th century, I could be wrong, that's again, very fucking gay. Just queer all the way down. But that's, is that kind of the the origin of the sexy figure hugging black velvet vampire lady? I think it's a part of it. Okay. I think vampires are often, there's something heavily sexualized, you know, there's the the, the penetration and the sucking. Wow, okay. <laughs> what? I'm not I'm the sorry. maiden. <laughs> we're making that the episode title. No, we're not. We're doing eyeball nipples. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Come I've on, gone Joanna. on about li- I've I've gone on about literature for a really long time. Oh no, yeah, but the shrike, the shrike, the shrike. The shrike? The um we were talking about the the, the vampiric ancestors. One of them was the 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 hint of the beak i think it was called the shrike vampire. oh yeah it's super do i mean shrike i might mean something else entirely sorry carry on but where this this book works in the gothic literature position in in the gothic literature tradition mm-hmm. is the, the gothic, gothic what's the gothic literature position <laughs> <laughs> penetration uh. <laughs> it involves a lacy white nightgown and oh, some no. billowing curtains <laughs> Why has it always got to be white? So, where it works in the Gothic literature tradition, it's not... Strix, sorry, not Shrike. Um, it's a creature from Roman mythology that stabbed and drank blood through its beak. And a ah. Pratchett came to my rescue there. There we go. Thank you. Um, is that the horror in this book, the fear, and, and Gothic literature isn't necessarily horror as such, but but the fear, the terror, the, mm. the anticipation and thrill as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, it's thrill, isn't it? It's suspense, thrill. And but the nastiness... Kind of the nastiness of the vampires comes from how they treat people. Mm. It's not Pretty about them biting and feeding and violence. It's, um, and I'm, I'm going to go into this as a much bigger thematic thing next week, but tying it back into these different myths and bits of writing about vampires. A, you've got this idea of Lacrimosa being the reverse of the parody that her and her friends acting human. I love that. It's a really nice play against the the teenage witches we were talking about last week. And there's, well, have we talked about this on the podcast? The whole norm core. No, I don't think we've ever it's talked very about that, norm though, isn't core. it? But like, it there's some Gen Z people who are just like dressing up as like normies as a fashion thing. As a, I don't know. I kind of love wearing it. a sensible jumper and some well cut jeans. Yeah, like cosplaying dads at a barbecue. Kind of. <laughs> I do genuinely love this. Uh, all of them calling each other things like Wendy rather than hi- Hieroglyphica. <laughs> and her mate Gerald, who pretends to be an accountant. <laughs> but they're coming at this normality, this let's be as close to human as we can be in completely different directions. Lacrimosa is doing it to rebel, whereas the Count is doing it to make them more powerful. And suddenly and- it becomes a lot less cool when it's your dad's motivations as well, doesn't it? Exactly. This idea of drinking wine is 
actually kind of disgusting to her when you get right down to it, but she will pretend to be into it with her maze. Guess the difference between teenagers dressing as like vampiric goth lot and then the weird like mason stuff with the all, funny handshakes and yeah, silly robes. Like, oh, all right, guys. Apologies <laughs> if we've got any Freemason no, listeners. I don't I apologize there's... for that. It's very stupid. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Pissing off the Freemasons. Good move, Francine. Okay, carry on. I'll have all turned know... off at the eyeball nipples. I assume we have no <laughs> listeners at this point. <laughs> Quite possibly. I'm sorry, I've gone on for far too long. But I mean, you... this is my fault entirely. Please continue. <laughs> we there's a reference to vampirism as pyramid selling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, if you think about it, like obviously pyramid selling is to the '90s what MLMs are today. They are literally the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Literally, literally MLMs are bad. Don't at us. Don't at us. No one. None just, of us just want never fall for the life. If okay, rule for life, listeners. Unless there's some very, very odd exceptions, and you'll know them if they are them. If you have to pay to do a job for somebody, that is a scam. Yeah. There you go. Um, but it's predatory. Yes. It's yes, predation. Yeah, Pyramid yeah. selling is is very predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. It is about taking advantage and doing what you can. And vampirism offers the same thing that fucking Herbalife and Avon do. I'm not sure um, if I'm more scared of Avon or the Masons atting us. I'm, actually, I feel like Avon uh, her- is less Herbalife, maybe. Yeah, this year. Yeah. Herbalife, I'll fucking fight. Avon's fairly bad, but not one of the worst ones. I'm trying. I can't think if, if of you any ever other want, one. If you ever, I'll tell you what, that could be a rabbit hole one day. If you ever want some deep dive stuff into why MLMs are bad, I will supply that. <laughs> I've done like the whole starting to join them thing to compare the literature and the yeah, it's <laughs> it's a weird mix of like fucking dodgy and cult. Yeah, and like it's known enough in pop culture that it doesn't fucking fucking work. Like, so I binged a bunch of that show in my family from the early two thousands because I found there was an episode in that about them accidentally joining a pyramid scheme. Yep, it was in The it's Simpsons, Shit's Creek. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> like it's known. It is known. Um, it is known. But this goes into the treating people as things thing, and this is, this is starting to round out my... Where it differs from some of the vampire literature is that the vampires often are somewhat enamoured or close to their subjects, especially when you go into like the more 18th century, like the vampire poetry in the early 19th century. It's often their loved ones and their family they're kind of coming back to. Yeah. There's a lot less of this. You have the family connection in that this family of vampires are close to each other. Yeah, and a lot of the sexual stuff is kind of like a it's more like a dom sub kind of more consensual stuff in some yeah. of the novels whereas yeah this genre which i've also read some of is, is very much a this is vampires no one would have agreed to this horror. if you hadn't yeah 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 um and it's amazingly good writing because it it's, is, so, yeah. it's so terrifying to consider yourself so small in the eyes of them. There's mm. these little hints that we'll go into. We'll see next week of this town called Escrow and people living in harmony in what's that clearly... A, is there a wordplay thing going on there? Escrow is to do with like a buying houses. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a financial tool. So I wonder yeah. if that, I wonder if the root word is there. Yeah, quite, quite often the alt legal terms have some quite interesting root words. Wow, that's the most boring thing I've ever said. Carry on. <laughs> so, what I want to bring it around to is uh, an interesting parallel I don't think I've ever spotted in a read-through before, but I noticed this time, which is that there are multiple references in this section and a lot more in the next 
to humans being treated as cattle, subservient mm-hmm. to the vampires. To contrast this, the other creatures we've had coming from Uberworld are the Knapback Fiegel, whose favourite job is stealing cattle. Hey. And this section ends on them stealing King Verence, the cattleiest of the cattle right now. Snaffling Kubisti. They snaffled a King Kubisti. A King Kubisti. <laughs> Good. I'm going to conclude my unhinged rant there. Okay. Can I do a vampire fact? Yes. Or two that we missed because... Or not missed, but didn't come up because I find them important. Are they about eyeball nipples? No, they're about vampiric watermelons. Oh, um, good. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our listeners will know this already because it's one of those like fun fact things that a lot of people know. But um, the the vampire pumpkins and watermelons is an actual folk legend from uh, from the Balkans. Sorry, it's a Romani legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of the vampiric le- legends are Romani. You said that, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned um, Transylvanian folklore. I didn't yeah. specifically point out the Romani legends. Yeah. Um, apparently there are only two plants which are regarded as likely to turn into vampires so this is a PSA guys uh, pumpkins mm-hmm. very kind and watermelons the change takes place when they are fighting one another um, so if they've been if the ground fruit have been kept for more than 10 days then they start stirring and making noises like brrrie, brrrie. Uh, so I guess you'll be able to hear it yeah keep an ear out yeah um, and begin to shake themselves and then, yeah, then they become vampires and they can go around houses, stables and rooms by themselves, not really explained how, and do harm to people. So I, do, I just, I feel like I would be remiss not to warn people about that. It's not I, pumpkin season yet, but it, you know. I feel like yeah. we should let the senior wrangler know. I think that might do him in. Good point. <laughs> we'll, we'll let the kitchens deal with that. I think okay. that, yeah. Um, also, we'll let Mrs. Whitlow know. <laughs> the other thing is I didn't want to interject when we were talking about bricks in the mouth because <laughs> this is a bit gross but um, <laughs> in the 1700s one of the um vampiric law was shroud eating there were like scientific books written on this concept of shroud eating which were i mean revenants in general before they became vampires were very much a thing i mean i'm sure you came across this as well there's just there's a lot of crossover between like vampiric the vampire stuff and, and the revenant. revenants and yeah yeah but basically when corpses were dug up for whatever reason probably often because they were like what if it is a vampire like me checking the fucking gas again um <laughs> um the the shroud would be rotted away a bit and the face around the mouth would rot quicker and i think that's because of uh, bacteria and moisture just in that area and so they came to the scientific conclusion that corpses were waking up and kind of eating the shroud and their own face a bit because they I didn't really know, know what, what to do was. with this information <laughs> Yeah, but then that kind of followed on to... So there's three main characteristics of what we would consider a vampire, and mm-hmm. that is uh, it's a revenant, it sucks blood, and it's contagious. Yeah. And so they reckon like that third bit became more prominent as discovery of bacteria kicked ah. in, and like contagion became a, a, a modern a worry. Yeah. Yeah. Fear, yeah. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. And that's all from the um, the podcast, the BBC one I was on about that I'll link to. So. Awesome, cool. Do you have an obscure reference, Finial, for me? I do, and it's not even about eating your face. Or nipples. It's one that's relevant to us, Joanna. Yay! Um, the stone witch found at the entrance of the cave where Granny Weatherwax is hiding out, this is from the forum again, um, sounds remarkably similar to the stone witch found at the Wookiee Hole Caves in Somerset. We've been there. Yeah, and Terry Pratchett replied to that, simply saying, bing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and that I look, makes me happy. Yeah, the uh, the the stone witch. For anyone who hasn't seen it, you look it up. But I mean, it's 
it's one of those things where you really have to want Squint to and, see something yeah, yeah. and also Basically, you know it's, it's a cave in candlelight when this was discovered and yeah. all of that is easier to see it's it's lumpen put it that way it's a big lumpen stalagmite yeah yes stalagmite yes yes because tights come down yes because they're holding on tight and tights come down <laughs> when you're assuming the gothic literature position <laughs> oh my god what's wrong with me <laughs> I think I'm rubbing You're off a terrible on you. influence. <laughs> right. I think that is probably everything we should say. I think that's right. Yeah. It's, it's nearly 10 o'clock. It's only going to get worse from here. Well, the podcast is definitely after the watershed now. <laughs> I really enjoyed that, Joe. What a, a, what a nice thesis you did. And you're right. Yep. It wasn't really a thesis. It was a nice little journey. Good job. Yep. See if you still like it when you're editing. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Truth Shall Make You Fret. If indeed you still are. If you're still listening. If you're I still with you us. Are, if- Oh no, reality. Carry on, carry on. I can't be doing this. Francine, I don't have an existential crisis when I'm doing the outro. We'll be back next week with part three, which goes from where this section ended to the end. Good, good idea. Yeah. I'll tweet some page numbers. Uh, the page. I remember. <laughs> 256 yeah. in the Corgi paperback. Oh, I've got 268 at the top of the show plan. That's because I accidentally did two different ends to this section. And then told you the earlier one okay. last week okay, and cool. decided not to change it back. So again. 256. Yeah. So 256 to the end in the Corgi paperback. I will find quotes and things and tweet them. Speaking of, in the meantime, until next time, you can follow us on Instagram at the Truth Shall Make You Fret on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod. You can join, find our Facebook page the tru- at the Truth Shall Make You Fret. Yeah, good talk. Yeah. Join our subreddit community, r slash T-T-S-M-Y-F. Send us your thoughts, queries, castles, albatrosses, magpies, and snacks. The truth shall make you fretpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you would like to support us financially, don't, I mean, if you really want to encourage us, go to patreon.com. <laughs> don't encourage us. I mean, please do. Go to patreon.com forward slash the truth shall make you fret. Exchange your hard-earned pennies for bonus nonsense like uh, trips down the rabbit hole and for our castles and snacks gang, some bonus recipes and do please, superstitions and some superstitions and um, please do rate and review us wherever you get your podcast it helps other people find us and of course just tell everyone you know yeah maybe don't mention the nipples though maybe don't lead with the nipples yeah <laughs> they are the eyes of the face <laughs> lead with the nipples that sounds like another katie price advice doesn't it <laughs> i mean it's how you do the uh, <laughs> gothic li- it's how you do the gothic literature position of course yeah lead with the nipples um god i'm so sorry until next time dear listener don't let us detain you um so that we don't fall afoul of the algorithm i think the gothic literature position might be the title instead of eyeball nipples oh fine do you reckon i'm i'm, I'm happy to risk it but no, I think like nipples you're right. might get a censored. Yeah. Let's not put you know how in the title. society feels about nipples. Uh, be, no, it's fine. They're men's nipples. But they're not. They're female eyeball <laughs> the nipples. The algorithm doesn't. <laughs> how can you tell if the nipples are female? They're wearing mascara. <laughs> Obviously, it's makeup has eye. no gender. <laughs> the evening eye nipple look. I was not thinking about makeup being gendered so much as cartoons that put mascara on the female, like cat or whatever. Know, so you know, yeah, it's, it's like a one a skeleton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they gave her bone titties. Oh dear. All right. Okay. Right. No, we're done. We're done. <laughs>